Hey kids, it's time for another Just Another Fanboy Classic episode. This week, it's episode number 18, which was originally published on Wednesday, December the 27th, 2006. And boy, I'll tell you what, I just I just really keep sticking to that whole Renee Montoya question thing, don't I? Third week in a row, just, just keep sticking to it. Anyway, enjoy the show. You're listening to Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that will put hair on your teeth and cause your elbows to wobble slightly. Just Another Fanboy is a Lynx broadcasting production. Lynx like the cat. Meow. Just like a comic book. 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 Welcome to episode number 18 of Just Another Fanboy. This episode was recorded on December 26, 2006, and has tiny little paper cuts all over the tips of its fingers from unwrapping all those darn Christmas presents. I'm your host, Steven, and I may be fat, but I'm where it's at. We got a ton of stuff for you this week, more than even I can shake a stick at, and I've been known to shake quite the stick in my day. First off the ball here, let's talk about Christmas. How was everybody's Christmas? Mine was pretty okay, if I don't say so myself. I got a DVD for Christmas this year. It's a Kiss DVD, because I happen to be a big Kiss fan, and I'm not afraid to admit it. This is called Kissology, The Ultimate Kiss Collection, Volume 1, 1974 through 1977. And basically, it's just a collection of concert footage, as well as uh, some of their TV appearances. And if you are a KISS fan, I recommend going out and getting this because it was pretty cool. My son Simon, who's really into the Justice League, got a six-pack of Justice League action figures. It had uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, the big three, as well as Bizarro, Amazo, and Doomsday. And let me tell you, the Doomsday action figure is pretty awesome. I wish I had one for myself because I would take it to work and put it on my desk and in the the slow hours of the day I would play with it and let it wreak havoc amongst the office supplies and throw pencils and paper clips and, you know, stuff like that around the desk and that'd be pretty cool. So that was my Christmas. How was how was your Christmas? Or holiday or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate during this time of year. How'd it go? Tell me about it. Email me. Send me a voicemail. Tell me about your Christmas. Did you get everything you wanted? I'd like to hear. I'd like to share it with the folks. And speaking of emails and voicemails, let's move on to a little listener's feedback. There will be no listener's feedback this week due to the fact that Stephen's listeners have better things to do during the holiday season than to phone up or write to a program such as this that has no redeeming quality whatsoever. Tune in next week when you may hear a listener say, I like eggs. I repeat, there will be no listener's feedback this week. Do Hi, sorry, this is Stephen. Sorry to interrupt there, but we, we actually will have some listener's feedback this week because we had an email that was sent to us at the last minute, so I will be reading this on the show. Thank you. I apologize. Please disregard the previous message. On with the show. Thank you. Oh, 
Okay, then. Sorry about that little mix-up, but like I said, we had this email just kind of sneak in here, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. The email is from Justin Hall, and Justin writes, Stephen, just listened to episode 17, which was also my second episode. I find it delightfully entertaining and laugh to myself often. I also have a few of my weekly picks and reviews for you. New Avengers Illuminati number one found this book really entertaining and a great view of a hidden Marvel past. I am looking forward to the next issue. Overall score, A-. minus. Conan number 35. First off, I am a big Conan fan, so this review is biased. Liked it a lot. I love the world of Conan and feel you have to be a really horrible writer to write a bad issue of Conan. Overall score, B+. Midnighter number two. I believe this came out a few weeks ago, but I just picked it up. I'm a huge Ennis fan, and reading him on the authorities, Midnighter is just great. He really knows how to talk for the character and can show his, a term for the kiddies, bedtime orientation without being in your face like other books. Overall score, A. So far, I'm loving the show. Consider me a new weekly listener. And I'll see you on the Around Comics forum. I'm Kawawookie, if you haven't figured it out. These web handles can sometimes confuse people. Always just another fanboy, Justin R. Hall. P.S. I would have made a call on the hotline, but I kept getting a busy signal. Thank you for the email, Justin. Um, New Avengers Illuminati number one is actually one I'm going to be picking up as well. Looking forward to that one. Conan was one that I had planned on starting to pick up. Um, when Busick left, I figured that would be a good time to go ahead and jump on since I, I wasn't there from the beginning. And But I ended up dropping it to go with Criminal instead. So I, I'm hoping to catch up with all the Conans through the trades. I got the first one through the library not too long ago, and I really liked it. So hopefully the library will, will keep picking those up because I'm looking forward to reading the Conans. Uh, Midnighter number two. Never read any of the Authority. Never read any of the Midnighter. Um, I do like Ennis. I really liked his uh, Preacher. So yeah, maybe I can get those two trades as well. Um, now, as far as the, the, the voice line is concerned, um, the way it's set up is, you know, Lynx Broadcasting, who produces the podcast, also has a number of other podcasts under their belt. So they have this, this 1-800 number set up with various extensions for all their different podcasts. And unfortunately, the way that it's set up now is that if, if you call in at the same time that someone else is calling the, the voice line, regardless of which podcast are calling in for, you're going to get a busy signal. So if you're calling the Just Another Fanboy voice line and you get a busy signal, just hang up and try back later because it's just somebody else leaving a voicemail, hopefully for my show. But uh, just call back. Uh, thanks for the email, Justin. I I recognize the name Kawawuki. I've seen you on the Iran Comics Forum. Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to get back on there and, and chat witches. Um, but until then, let's move along with the show with news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little information. This week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort is brought to you by Pickle in a Sack. The most innovative and popular product in the known universe. But don't take my word for it. Let the product speak for itself. Hello, folks. I'm Reggie, and I'm a pickle. I was living the simple life in Southern California when I was recruited for the Pickle in a Sack program. And I have to say, 
when those folks approached me, I was a bit skeptical. I mean, they had this whole change the world attitude, and I just didn't feel that I was the pickle they were looking for. But after looking through a few brochures, I agreed to go with them down to the office and fill out some paperwork. Before I knew it, I was asked to join the ranks of the few, the proud, the pickles and sacks. It wasn't long before some nice young man bought me, and I had the pleasure of being this lonely man's best friend in the whole world. I even saved his life once by offering him part of me for nourishment when he was trapped under a fallen pine tree. Pickle in a sack is more than just a gimmick. We change lives, and we do it every day. So try Pickle in a Sack, because we all need someone to love, even if it is a pickle. From Senseless Products Incorporated. The Cross Bronx, the hit four-issue miniseries, has completed its run at Image, but now you can read the first issue for free at Cross Bronx Online. Written and created by Ivan Brandon and Michael Avon Oming, The Cross Bronx is a supernatural crime noir tale where earthly justice clashes with divine retribution. You can visit the Cross Bronx site at thecrossbronx.com. For updates on the Cross Bronx, join the Oming newsletter at oming at aol.com. Read the first issue at hiddenrobot.com slash cbonline. One of the most popular products released this year by Dark Horse Deluxe, the merchandise division of Dark Horse Comics Incorporated, was the sculpted reproduction of the spaceship Serenity from the Universal Studios film directed by Joss Whedon. An instant sellout, the detailed ornament features two ways to display it, a traditional hook-and-eye device and a small base with a dowel that allows it to be placed on a flat surface. Because of strong demand from collectors, Dark Horse now is planning a limited release of a variant ornament. This version will be titled Serenity in Disguise and depicts the ship as it looks when the crew finds it necessary to alter its appearance in order to pass as one of the evil Reaver ships. This will be a limited edition release with a production run based on advanced orders. No further manufacturing will take place after the initial edition size is set. The cutoff date for these advance orders is March 1st, 2007, to be released in May. No reorders will be honored, so Dark Horse advises retailers and consumers to order in a timely fashion and to anticipate their long-term needs when doing so. Additionally, the coming year will see the release of the first set of PVC features based on three of the movie's prominent characters. This set has been beautifully sculpted by Gentle Giant Studios and includes the heroic and handsome Captain Malcolm Reynolds, the rough but lovable Jane, and the mysterious River Tam. The Serenity PVC set arrives on sale May 16, 2007, carrying a $17.99 price tag. The limited edition Serenity variant ornament arrives on sale in May for $19.99. Look for more exciting Serenity products in the coming year, as well as a new comic series to be released in the fall. IDW Publishing's Transformers Universe has spanned from modern-day Earth to the far-flung planet of Cybertron and many light-years of time and space in between. Now get ready for an all-new Transformers story that breaks new ground, setting the stage for the highly anticipated summer 2007 blockbuster Transformers the Movie. And while the movie might not explode onto theater screens until July, IDW Publishing offers your first glimpse of the live-action motion picture Robots in Disguise in the Transformers the Movie prequel beginning in February 2007. In the four-part Transformers the Movie prequel, co-writers Chris Ryle and Simon Furman team up with celebrated Transformers artist Don Figueroa to deliver a special tale that spans centuries, traveling from Cybertron to Earth 
This special four-part series reveals the events that led up to next summer's blockbuster movie, directed by Michael Bay and executive produced by Steven Spielberg. Transformers the Movie Prequel is an all-new four-part series that hits shelves in February 2007 with a 32-page full-color comic book. On DVD this week, Airwolf Season 2 5-disc set and The Black Dahlia. And that was this week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort. And now my comic book, Picks of the Week. This week from D.C., we have 52, week number 33, written by Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, and Mark Wade. Breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Covers by J.G. Jones. The story of the year continues in four more chapters of America's only weekly superhero adventure. In this issue, it's a deadly countdown to the end of the year and the end of a life in the most heart-stopping cliffhanger yet. The new year changes everything. Okay, this is it. This may just be the issue where the question loses his life. I'm still not buying it. Here's what I see happening. I think that DC wants us to think that they are going to kill off the Vic Sage question and replace him with Renee Montoya. Just like they want us to believe that they really killed Booster Gold. I don't think Booster Gold is dead, and I think we may see the question's apparent death in this issue or even issue 35, but at the end, we will see that he just ain't dead. Mark my words, people. Mark them. Blue Beetle number 10, written by Keith Giffen and John Rogers. Art and cover by Cully Hamner. One road trip ends and another begins as Beetle's best friend Brenda gets her hands on a mother box. Don't miss the start of a cosmic arc destined to end Blue Beetle's first year with the Big Bang. Now, a friend of mine told me just last week that he heard that this title is in danger of being canceled. I hope not, because I like the book. No one can ever replace Ted Cord, the previous Blue Beetle, but this book is still a good one. So if you're not picking it up, pick it up, because I don't want this book to end. Detective Comics number 827, written by Paul Dini, art by Don Kramer and Wayne Foucher, cover by Simone Bianchi. Meet the all-new Ventriloquist! After surviving a near-fatal explosion, Batman discovers the ventriloquist and Scarface are back with a vengeance. As the Dark Knight tries to unravel the mystery behind his enemy's resurrection, Scarface unites the most feared names in the Gotham underworld and introduces them to a surprising new ally in their war against Batman. Dang, man. When is Rags Morales going to get on this book? That's the whole reason I started pulling Detective was because Rags Morales was supposed to be on this book. Where is he? What's he doing? Come on! Justice League number 5, written by Brad Meltzer, art by Ed Benes and Sandra Hope, cover by Michael Turner, variant cover by Arthur Adams. One of the hottest teams in comics, Brad Meltzer, Ed Benes and Sandra Hope, continue to heat 
things up in part five of the tornado's path. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman join Green Lantern, Black Canary, and Arsenal against the unstoppable force of a villain reborn. Villain reborn. I have no clue who that is. I hope I recognize him when I see him. Wetworks number four, written by Mike Carey. Art and cover by Wils Protecchio and Richard Friend. Variant cover by Eric Powell. Featuring a stunning variant cover by the goons Eric Powell. After the frantic events of last issue, Red has returned to the base in bad shape. And Dane and Mother One are M.I.A. In the company of Detective Ash, Dane and Mother One travel to Thea Mater, Ash's home and discover the origins of Vascar, the vampire who so badly wants the blood box, and why they must keep it from him at all costs. Okay, <clears throat> so I think I'm going to have to drop this book. I've read the first three issues so far, and I just don't care. I remember liking the original back in the day, and I was excited about this relaunch, but I just can't make myself care for the story or the characters. So it's going to be dropped. For Marvel this week, we have Astonishing X-Men number 19, written by Joss Whedon, art by John Cassidy. This is part one of Unstoppable. Strap yourselves in, folks. It's the beginning of Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's final arc on Astonishing X-Men. After the shocking and brain-smashing events of last issue, the X-Men are off to protect the Earth from its destruction at the hands of the break world. And when it's all over... Nothing will ever be the same. No, really, we mean it. Whedon and Cassidy prove that they are more than astonishing. They are unstoppable. Well, I think this is it. The beginning of the end of a great run by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. We still get these six issues, then, unless my info is wrong, they are off the book, and that will be a sad day. Daredevil number 92, written by Ed Brubaker, art by Michael Lark and Stefano Guadiano. Matt Murdock finally comes face to face with the person who's been manipulating his life since he was thrown in jail, and you'll be stunned by the revelation. Brubaker and Lark's second arc rounds the corner toward the finish line. Now I have no doubt that stunned we all shall be. The great brew has yet to disappoint on his run on Daredevil. I hope this creative team stays on the book for a great long while. Onslaught number two, written by Jeff Loeb, art by Rob Liefeld. The battle for the fate of the Marvel Universe has begun. The Fantastic Four are joined by Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers, all going head-to-head -head against the most dangerous creature ever created. Onslaught! All-out action has only Jeff Loeb and Rob Liefeld can deliver. The first issue was okay. You know, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. My feelings may turn with issue number two. And lastly, we have Wolverine Origins number nine, written by Daniel Way, art by Steve Dillon. This is part four of Savior. Logan has to move fast. Dum Dum Duggan is hard on his trail. Black Widow is being less than cooperative, and Omega Red is only hours away from obtaining what both he and Logan are after. The Carbonadium Synthesizer. It's a breakneck race toward a sure-to-be bloody finish with Jubilee's life in the balance. 
And those were my comic book picks of the week. Got your own picks? Call one eight seven seven three zero nine eight three six seven extension 212 and tell me all about them. If you don't call, I may just have to peel the skin out from between my index finger and thumb of my left hand and then soak the area in lemon juice. And now for At the Movies with Gary Indiana. Murder, mystery, suspense, teen angst, fresh fruit. No, wait, not fresh fruit. Well, there may be some fresh fruit in the movie somewhere. I mean, they do have those big banquet scenes, but the fruit isn't really important. What's really important is the magic and the boy who lived. What's in my DVD player this week? Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Harry is now 14 years old, and before he starts his fourth year at Hogwarts, he is invited by the Weasleys to attend the Quidditch World Cup. Now, if you're currently sitting there listening to this and you have no clue what Hogwarts is, no idea who the Weasleys are, and are just plain scratching your head over the word Quidditch, then I suggest you go back and watch the first three movies. Yes, sir, this is number four. The first being Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the second is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and the third is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay, got it? May I continue, please? Mayhem soon ensues as a group of Death Eaters, skull-masked followers of the Dark Lord Voldemort, or He Who Must Not Be Named, also known as Crazy Dark Evil Wizard Dude who tried to kill Harry Potter when Harry was a baby yet failed and died making Harry one of the most famous personages in the wizarding community of all time. Oh, okay, I- I'm the only one who calls him that, and only for the purposes of this week's podcast, so you'll never hear that from me again. Well, I, I-, I certainly have gotten a little off track here. See? Okay, I'll start again. <clears throat> Mayhem soon ensues as a group of Death Eaters, school-masked followers of the Dark Lord Voldemort, start wreaking havoc after the match. Panic erupts throughout the tent community that has been built to house all the attendees of the match. Soon, wizards are running to and fro as Mr. Weasley tells Harry and the gang to run and hide. Harry somehow manages to get separated from his friends and even finds a way to have himself knocked unconscious. He wakes to find an empty camp and some weird guy skulking about who points his wand to the sky and creates what Harry later finds out to be the Dark Mark, Voldemort's Mark. Eventually, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are back at Hogwarts, and they discover that Hogwarts has been chosen to host the Triwizard Tournament. The tournament consists of three contests, and a champion must be chosen from Hogwarts as well as the other two wizarding schools who are participating. Considering that the tournament is quite dangerous, it is decided that only those students who are 17 and above are allowed to enter by placing their name in the Goblet of Fire. Soon it is time for the ceremony where the Goblet of Fire will spit out the names of the three champions. The big shocker is that a fourth champion is chosen, and it happens to be none other than Harry Potter. Harry never put his name in the Goblet of Fire. How could he? He's not 17. There are rewards and enchantments and spells and such that were placed around the Goblet of Fire to stop students under 17 from putting their names in. Yet, Harry is chosen. What is he to do? He is to compete. That's what. In the first contest, our four champions must best a dragon and steal the egg the dragon is guarding. The egg will then have the clue to what the second contest is so our champions can prepare. Harry uses his broom to fly about and, of course, manages to get the egg. So do the other three champions, but still... Harry's just a little guy. 
The second contest has our champions swimming about in the lake on the grounds of Hogwarts. They must go deep, deep underwater and retrieve something that has been taken from them. The third contest is nothing more than a possessed maze of hedgerows with the trophy planted somewhere inside. The goal is to get through the maze and touch the trophy. Whomever gets to the trophy first wins the Triwizard Tournament. Harry and the other Hogwarts champion, Cedric Diggory, both manage to arrive at the trophy at the same time. And as they each touch it simultaneously, well, I'm not going to spoil this ending for you. I just want to start straight off here and say that, th- that there was a truckload, no, 14 truckloads from the book that was never even touched upon in the movie. And frankly, I don't care. I know that when a movie is made from a book, especially from a long book, there are items from the book that are taken out. And there are items that were never in the book in the first place that are put into the movie. This is just a fact of life, and I think once we can all come to terms with this, then we can all enjoy the movie so much more than we ever had. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, in my opinion, kicked some serious rump. The scene with the dragon alone makes the movie worth watching, yet the other stuff was was pretty good too. Ron and Harry have a bit of a falling out when Ron just plain decides he's sick of Harry getting all the attention, and frankly I don't blame him. There are some very funny moments too, least of which is watching Mr. Finch try to run, and Mad-Eye Moody, the new defense against the dark arts teacher, turning Malfoy into a ferret. If you have enjoyed the other three movies, I suggest picking this one up as it does not disappoint. And frankly, if and you haven't done so, read the dang books. As good as the movies are, the books are just so much better. Anyway, that was this week at At The Movies with with Gary Indiana. Join me here next week and I'll talk about, uh, well, uh, ah, heck, I don't know. I ain't watched anything yet. Finally back this week with Steven's Book Bag, and this time around I want to talk about Madman Comics. More specifically, the original Madman trilogy from Tundra Publishing. Written and drawn by Mike Allred with colors by his wife Laura, Madman is truly one of my favorite comics of all time. Who is Madman? Well, he's just this guy, see? Madman was this fellow who died in a car crash, though the circumstances behind the crash are somewhat mysterious. But thanks to the efforts of his good friend Dr. Egon Boyford, he was brought back to life, though scarred and without any memory. Doc Boyford gave him the name Frank Einstein after the Doc's two biggest heroes, Frank Sinatra and Albert Einstein, and set Frank up with his own private detective agency. Frank has also fallen for a girl named Joe, who seems to share his affection, despite his deathly appearance. Now, this all happens before the contents of the original Madman trilogy. I'm just throwing a little backstory at you before we get into the meat of it all. I also want to talk about Frank's costume. And I call him Frank because everyone calls him Frank. Though the book is called Madman, and he's dubbed the Madman of Snap City by the denizens of said city, which is where Frank lives, he just goes by Frank, which I find quite refreshing. Anyway, back to his costume. At some point before the trilogy starts, 
Frank meets Joe and is ashamed of the way he looks. His skin is gray and scarred, and he feels he just can't win the heart of the fair damsel, and, in a fit of anger, pulls out the input receivers in his neck before they have time to fully heal and dissolve. Frank regresses, and the doc has to take Frank back to Boyford's home. It's there that Dr. Boyford discovers that Frank has a happy memory of a comic book character he loved as a child, Mr. Excitement. And it's only after Frank begins to wear an outfit fashioned after Mr. Excitement's costume that Frank's insecurities cease to be. Frank becomes a confident, capable person, but only when wearing the costume, which bears a large exclamation point on the chest, changed slightly to resemble a lightning bolt. It's often referred to as an exclamation bolt. So that's the backstory, all of which happens previous to the trilogy, but they cover it all in the books. I just wanted to get it out there and up front, as most of the trilogy is about Frank trying to discover who he is after another bout of memory loss following the, following the attempt on Dr. Boyford's life. So let's get to the book already. We begin in the basement of a building in Snap City. Frank is sitting alone and in costume, writing in his journal, when two men with guns arrive and try to take Frank out. Frank, using a yo-yo that he's turned into a weapon by filling it with lead, takes out one of the men, pulls the dude's eye out, and eats it while his thug partner watches in horror. Okay, let's pause for a minute here. Madman, in general, is not a graphically violent book. Frank himself is usually a pretty gentle and happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Yet, within just a few pages of the book, Frank is pulling a man's eyeball out, eating it, and then later vomiting the eyeball up after the other thug is gone. Frank himself even questions this act at one point. How can he be prone to such acts of violence when he's not a violent guy? They don't answer the question in the first trilogy, but it's out there just waiting to be answered. Back to the story. The two men who come after Frank were working for a man named Monstat, your typical crime lord type who was funding Dr. Boyford's research into unlocking the key to immortality. Once Boyford realizes what kind of man Mondstadt was, he refused to work for the man any longer, and so the attempt on his life was made. As Boyford was dying, he instructed Frank to shut him up in a freezer and then go find help from his friend Dr. Flem in Buzztown. Frank's also instructed to break into Mondstadt's and get Boyford's journals. Not only does one of them contain Dr. Flem's address, they also contain everything Mondstadt needs to live forever. After Frank retrieves Flem's address in Buzztown, he is to destroy the journals. This he now does, with the exception of destroying the journals. He's caught in the act, and he escapes with the journal containing Flem's whereabouts, and he chucks the journal in a sewer before hopping a bus to Buzztown. Frank soon locates Dr. Flem, but not before foiling a plot involving the murder of Buzztown's mayor. When he does find Dr. Flem, he does not find him in the best of health. Flem has been working on the process of cloning and has been using himself as a lab rat as he tries to create a Flem clone. He's made a few, but soon after being birthed into the world, they start to degenerate into zombie-like states. So before Frank can take Flem back to Snap City to help Dr. Boyford, he has to help Dr. Flem with his little zombie problem. Eventually, the whole zombie thing is fixed. Flem brings Boyford back to life, Mondstadt is stopped, and Frank and Joe fall in love all over again. I will say that though I love the Madman books, the first set of three just aren't the strongest in the Madman library. There are some great moments in the books, though, like the little boy on the bus to Buzztown that tells Frank that he looks stupid. Plus, it has flip action pages that show Frank dancing as you flip through them. 
When anyone ever asks me what comics they should be reading, I always place Madman in their hands, and I've yet to find any disappointment, so check it out. And that's what's in my book bag this week. Next week, I hope to talk about the second Madman trilogy, which has Frank traveling back in time and sees dinosaurs. That's what I'd like to talk about next week, but I picked up some great books from the library this week, so who knows what may come out next week. So until then, it's time once again for The View from Norman, Oklahoma, a weekly segment in which our resident bitter old fanboy pisses and moans about the state of the comic industry, or just anything that generally pisses him off. Ladies and gentlemen, Norman, Oklahoma. Now this week, I want to talk about the influx of folks coming into my local comic book store wearing fishnet stockings over their heads and singing cowboy songs about penguins. Is he gone? Yep, he's headed for the bathroom. He should be gone for at least ten minutes. <laughs> Good, because this week I don't want to talk about comics. Instead, I'd like to embarrass Stephen something fierce. You see, my old buddy Stephen made the mistake of inviting me to come spend Christmas with him, with, with him and his family over at his parents' house. And his little brother Mike had this, well, Christmas present for Steve. And it was a book that Stephen wrote, well, not really a book, it's called My Valentine Book, that Stephen wrote back in February of 1980 when he was seven years old. He wrote it for school, and it's called My Valentine Book, and I, <laughs> I felt it would be funny to read it over the air. So, here we go. All names have been changed to protect the innocent. My Valentine Book by Stephen Orr. Some people think a heart is in your body, but this heart is different. This is a sweetheart. A sweetheart is when you love someone like a girl. I love Sweeney McPretty because she is pretty. She is so pretty, I would kiss her until her lips would come off. And she would kiss me back. And my lips would come off. And it would go over and over and over and over and over and over and over until we love each other, I hope. And we will act like gorillas. Gorilla. We would swing <laughs> and swing good. So good. And people will think we love each other. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's some funny stuff, Norman. Yeah, it is. Boy, yeah. old Steven's going to be right pissed off when he hears this. Well, I hope so. Serves him right for, you know, all the stuff he's done. Like, like well, like, like slapping you last week. That wasn't cool. You know, call this... Call this point one in my game of revenge against the host of Just Another Fanboy, Steven. Point one. <laughs> point one. <laughs> point one. You betcha. That's right, you know. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, he's going to listen to this tomorrow night or tomorrow sometime. Whatever he listens, he's going to listen to it. He's going to be so <laughs> pissed off. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. I yes, can't sir. wait to see the look oh, on his face yeah. when he, oh. oh. What's, what's so funny, guys? Nothing. What are you talking? What did you guys talk? Nothing. Oh, my what is this? Uh-oh. Where did you get? Is this my Valentine? <laughs> no, no. Where did you get? No, where? Please tell me you did not read this. I'm not at all. Please tell me you uh, did not read this on the podcast. Um, Please, Norman. 
Did yep. did you read this on the podcast? <laughs> yes, I did. He, oh he, my he read god! It, he read it for everybody uh, to hear. I can't believe you <laughs> did that. This is what? Oh, this was. Some, I was seven years old when ashamed. I wrote this. Oh. This. Oh Come my on. god! I, I was not involved. You guys did this? It's oh, part of your heart. Get out! It's in your heart. Get out of the house! Get out of the house! It's in your heart, buddy. Come on! Don't be ashamed. Just one point. One point. One to nothing, what, what, I'm a winner. One point? What is that supposed to mean? One point. One one point? Yeah. Okay, buddy. One, I'll one get point. you I'll get you one I'll get Come you get stick your one point and stick Come it straight it. up your I'm um, here. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Um why don't we just move on and listen to some bloopers while I try to well, I try to collect myself and then we'll just get this show ended. Okay. So let's, let's just go with bloop. Can we, can we do some bloop? Can we do some bloopers? Bloop, bloopers. Here we go. Bloopers. This version, 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 version. And are just playing scratching your head over the world, over the world, over the, over the world. Is he to compete? But it, dang. Or he who man, who he meant him, shaman, ferner. And this brings a most embarrassing episode to a close. Here is the address to complain to. Justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. Send me an email and I'll read it out over the show. And if you aren't into the whole writing thing, then give us a call at 1-877-309-8367, extension 212, and leave us a voicemail. You can review a book, movie, or TV show. You can tell a joke. You can sing a song. You can make funny noises with your armpit. The choice is up to you. The theme song for the show is Comic Book by the Super Spies. Find it and information about the band at garageband.com. The rest of the music from this week's episode comes from the Pod Show Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. So until next week, I'm Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Gorillas! Can you believe that? Gorillas! <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Gorillas! Oh, yes, and the gorillas! I know, I just think he sleeps in the gorillas. Boy, he was a weird kid when he was a child, wasn't he? He sure was. Just a Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.